Hi, this is Dave Black and you're listening to Letters from Combe. In our last episode, I gave you a very detailed description of Combe Ridge. And with a small degree of modification, that same description could be used to describe the Tuayag Escarpment and Jebel Tuayag, a narrow escarpment that cuts through the Nejid Plateau just outside of Riyadh in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It sits smack in the middle of the Arabian Desert, the third largest desert in the world, covering most of the Arabian Peninsula with a sandy landscape highly affected by wind. The summer heat there is very intense and many areas, primarily the coastal areas like Jeddah, have high humidity just to make things worse. Rainfall over the entire region averages less than four inches per year, although after a heavy rain, a light sparse grass sometimes turns the wadis a pale brownish green. The most prominent features in the six to seven hundred foot high Tawaiga escarpment are the Jebel Fihrain, or the edge of the world as the expats call it, which is a feature that gives the lucky adventurer a view of the surrounding wadis, such as the Wadi Nasa, and a view of the red walls of the Tawaiga escarpment. And the second feature is the 177 foot desert tower, Jebel Hizbi, meaning Finger Mountain in Arabic and affectionately called Faisal's Finger by climbers. The rock is a yellowish, limey sandstone, and it contains obvious marine remains like coral, brachiopods, and snail-like creatures. From a point high on the edge of the world, you can experience the desert falling away into the Wadi Nisa, Hidden Valley, and Faisal's Finger, and you can watch the desert alpenglow turn the walls of the plateau and of the escarpment to a fiery gold and then a fierce orange as the sun drops over the horizon. It would be cliché to say the silence there is deafening, but it really is. But if you listen closely enough, you might hear the climbers on Faisal's fingers shouting their climbing commands as they ascend the splitter cracks and the chimneys on the tower. Or you might hear hikers as they follow the ancient camel trails that connect the plateau with the ancient trade routes. Sometimes the winds stir up the dust and cover these rock giants in a beautiful orange cloud of mystery, and there's plenty of sand and dust to kick up in reds and oranges and yellows. This is some of the least friendly turf on the planet. Aside from the heat, there's little water to be had anywhere. In fact, in most places in the Wadi Nasat and Jebel Tawayag, there's much less than you would find in many other desert areas like the Bears Ears and the walls and the valleys seem void of vegetation or of life in general. But if you believe that, you're a pessimist, or you don't know the desert, because there is plenty of animal life there, and it's varied and unique. Mammals include sand cats, hyenas, wolves, ibex, foxes, camels. The arthropods include scorpions and spiders, including the camel spider, which can grow up to six inches in diameter, and run at 10 miles per hour. Reptiles include vipers, cobras, geckos, and lizards like the dub that can grow up to two feet long and weigh 10 pounds. There are bees, wasps, ants, scarab beetles, and in the air you'll see vultures and buzzards and hawks soaring on the heat. And on the ground are plants that have learned to live with very little water and tolerate sandy and saline soils. Date palms, junipers, gab trees, saltbush, 
Acacia, and Abel. This area until recently was only populated by the Bedouin, nomadic groups many of whom still live in tents that are divided into a men's side and a woman's side. The Bedouin are wary of outsiders, but they're generous to a fault. Like the Anasazi of the Bears Ears, the Bedouin of the Arabian Desert are dwindling in numbers and undergoing cultural and technological evolutions that will change them forever. The camel replaced by a white Japanese pickup truck and traditional ceremonies replaced by dish TV, video games, and social media. I first saw the Tawaiag Escarpment when I moved to Riyadh from Utah. My children, especially Darby, were transfixed by this desert playground. Like other expats, we started calling it the Magic Kingdom, not out of disrespect, but on the contrary, out of a deep respect for the beauty of the Arabian Peninsula and the amount and quality of the outdoor recreation activities available there. Over a period of two years, I climbed Faisal's Finger over 50 times, as well as routes on Jebel Tawayeg and on the black travertine chimneys of the Wadi Nisat. I would also go out there just to listen, just to sit alone, observe, and feel the beauty of the desert's struggle and challenge. Books on scripture are rife with stories of people who went to the desert for wisdom and insight. Where else better to learn perception and judgment or to attain personal direction and understanding? The silence of the desert wilderness, be it in the bear's ears or in the edge of the world, will not allow you to ignore the voice of your inner life. Things you have buried long ago will rise again to the surface where they can be taken on with genuine discrimination and sensitivity. This is the place where we can regain our lost relationships with the earth. Places like this must be preserved because there are so few of them. There are so few places like this, places where we can regain some of our own innocence. Unfortunately, I have some very bad news about this particular area. Try to soak this in. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and its wealthy royal family are in the process right now of building the world's first entertainment city, changing that particular desert's very nature with concrete, water, roads, farms, industrial facilities, a Six Flags theme park, a Formula One racetrack, an 18-hole golf course, and 5,000 luxury homes. The complex, called Al-Qadiyya, is being developed in nodes across the topography of the upper and lower plateaus of the Tawayag, with everything being built around a retail dining and entertainment concept. Now, imagine all of this abuse being heaped on an area of desert the size of Belgium, the size of Zion, and Arches, and Yosemite. The construction of this monstrosity will spoil the essential nature of the Tawaiq Escarpment. Faisal's finger, the Wadi Nisaf, the edge of the world. I mean, come on, who has the right to desecrate something called the edge of the world? And the sad part about this is I had a hand in the disaster. I am unable to find documentation 
proving adequate study of the environmental consequences of this massive new development and whether or not it's been publicly and properly assessed and agreed on. What effect will this have on the local fauna and flora? Will watering increase the salinity in the soil and kill the delicate plants that survive there now? Will off-road vehicles cause irreparable damage? From 1994 to 1997, I lived in Saudi Arabia, two years in Riyadh and several months in Jeddah. During these years, I spent two days a week exploring, most of it rock climbing and caving. I covered the entire country from the Red Sea to the Persian Gulf and from Wadi Rum in Jordan to the mountains of northern Yemen. What I found was a vast, endless source of unclimbed, pristine granite domes and big walls and hundreds of sandstone towers, much of it rivaling anything I'd seen or climbed in places like Zion and Yosemite. At the time, I spoke passable Arabic, so locals were kind and helpful, especially the Bedouin in the most remote areas. I must have climbed four to five hundred routes. I left Riyadh after the al Hobar Towers bombing, but I returned a few months later to help find a missing American consultant. I returned again briefly in 1999 for a medical conference, and then out of the blue in 2005, I was contacted by the Saudi Tourism Office. They asked if I would come back, survey the entire country, and catalog the best climbing areas. I was assigned a Saudi rope mate, Mubarak, and from November 2005 to January of 2006, we traveled the country and cataloged it all again. And that was the end of my climbing days in Saudi Arabia until 2018 when I got a phone call from a Saudi prince who asked me to return, revisit, and recatalog the best of the best. From the beginning, something just wasn't right about this new project. Mubarak had died in 2006 in a car accident, and under those circumstances, I assumed the reason they wanted me back was to do the search and catalog mission a third time because they had not been able to recover that information from Mubarak. So in 2018, I returned. I was greeted at the airport with a VIP entourage, a vehicle with a driver, and a budget. Again, I traveled the country extensively. Again, I cataloged and I submitted a final report. On my final day in Saudi, the prince and I traveled with a small group of expats out to the Wadi and to the finger at the base of the Tuayag Escarpment. The we hiked around the base and ascended its long talus slope ridge, and we wandered across the wadi toward the escarpment. Standing on a plateau, the prince told me about Al-Kadiya. It was the first I had heard of the details of the project, and I was stunned. The prince looked at me, and he looked at the tower, and he spread his arms, indicating the tower, and he explained there would be a Six Flags theme park nearby, a golf course, and a speedway. He said a portion of the escarpment would be enclosed for climate control so climbers could do their climbs on real rock but with air conditioning. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I looked squarely at him and I asked, what about the tower? What about Faisal's finger?
prince looked at me and he said he would protect the tower and the tower would not be changed. I stared at him a moment while my brain processed all of this. And it suddenly felt to me like at least part of the reason I had been awarded this trip back to the kingdom was because I was a vocal proponent of clean climbing and I was known to be against the use of bolts in excess. I was also a writer and I think they believed I might write in opposition to the, their plan and they wouldn't want any negative publicity. As it turned out, the survey and cataloging project did eventually serve a purpose. On the 2018 scouting project, I had introduced the director of ops for the Saudi Climbing Federation to Ashafa, a popular nature area southwest of Taif and Al-Sharif Park in Tanoma, north of Asir, which resulted in the Saudi Bolting Project, a project carried out by a team of Italian mountain guides and Saudis, who over a period of five weeks developed 74 routes protected by hundreds of glue-in bolts. It was the second time in 24 years that the Saudis had used my information to send a European team to overbolt a new climbing area. The first had been the Wadi bin Hashbal near Khamis Mushait in the far south of the country, where many of the routes there were overbolted to the tune of one bolt every four feet. So I flew back to Hawaii the next day, hoping I would never hear of the project again. And I didn't until about a month before I first published this podcast. I was watching CNN, and a promotional piece about Al-Qadiyya flashed on the screen, and there was the concept map right in my face. A jungle of man-made crap modifying every aspect of the site, including the finger. I texted the prince, your Highness, I just now saw the CNN article for Al-Qadiyya. Congratulations, my friend. I thought you were going to protect the tower from development. The CNN article shows roads, pools, parking, directly below the best routes. I'm very saddened by this. The Prince has not replied to this day. This series is about survival of the spirit. The spirit is the non-physical part of humans. It's the seat of emotion and character. Part of spiritual survival is the idea of finding a place and a time to think and a time and a place to be different than normal. A space free of the distractions and stresses that we face every day place full of beauty and newness and that's what the wilderness is that's what the desert is the wilderness has always been a factor in my own survival and that's why I share this with you in this series I understand Saudi Arabia is not my country it's not my culture and it's not my property I understand that the Islamic scriptures tell us 
that the desert was put here for man to make green. But they also tell us that the desert is as blessed as any other thing in creation. The fact is that this is the largest act of brolification in modern history, and I'm making a personal plea to climbers and outdoorsmen to give a cold shoulder to Alcadia and reject the idea. We can't make this, this one stop. We can't make this one go away. But maybe in the future we can prevent it from happening again. Thank you.